Where last we left our heroes, the red-masked Asian had made himself known, his machinations present, but unclear. Their investigation has led them to Little Alamigo and into the tangled web of this downtrodden people's history. A literal dead end may be their only lead, but no one said that tracking down a paragon would be easy. I'm Jane. I'm Nero. And this is Radio Free Heidelin. Welcome back, everyone. So, turns out both of us were wrong about what we were doing this week last time. Uh, both of us were thinking of different things, neither of which were correct. Yes. Uh, I thought we were going to do Garuda next for a minute, and then I remembered that whole situation. Uh, Nero, you thought we were doing hawk manor right well first i thought we were doing titan then i remembered oh wait hawk manor is a story dungeon and that's level 28 so that's probably what we're doing next no wrong on both counts i've forgotten entirely about this portion of the game which is probably bad if you want to consider its quality Yes, so this week we are dealing with Big Trouble in Little Alamigo. God, I wish Kurt Russell were here. God. So we've we've had, you know, we, we, we've touched on the refugee problems uh, up until this point a little bit. Um, and they've, they've come up a couple of times. But nobody's really gotten into the details of what's going on. Uh, this quest line starts to answer a few of those questions, and the answers are a little fraught, a little complicated. So this section starts out with Menphilia telling you that the Immortal Flames have a lead on La Habrea. A, uh, a masked man has been spotted around Little Alamigo as of late who fits his description. Yes. Unfortunately, the man who saw him died. Uh, a bunch of uh, Keycurn sort of showed up and just axed this guy. Uh, very sad and unfortunate. But thankfully, at least, the place where this guy saw supposedly the masked man was a fairly populated little settlement called Highbridge. Highbridge is basically a, a big merchant settlement, as one might imagine with a name like Highbridge. It's built around a rather high bridge. Yes, a high bridge that also happens to be going directly over some fairly important ruins of uh, some, like, uh, Naldthal-worshipping peoples, which apparently... The merchants there assumed that all the archaeologists and, like, pilgrims coming to see that would drive their business through the roof. Unfortunately for them, however, there's a bunch of monsters and, like, guys who don't like old dog guys uh, around. And, yeah, no, it, it's not very safe going to Highbridge, it turns out. Yeah, so you're, you're directed to speak there with a merchant named Hihibaru, who tells you all about this situation, and yes, the monsters and the Kikirin raids are making people not really want to take up a trip to Highbridge to shop or look at the cool ruins. They, they would rather not 
get shanked by a funny little rat man. Yeah, much to Hikibaru's uh, chagrin here. Uh, he's not very pleased about it. But you talk to him and he's like, listen, I got enough problems worrying about my bottom line. But hey, if you ask some guys in town, maybe they'll know. And so you go and you do that and you hear some rumors like, yeah, you know, there's been a masked man around here every once in a while. But nothing really conclusive until eventually Kikibaru uh, himself apparently sees a masked individual while he's uh, out on one of his nightly strolls. Yeah, he, so this guy, he saw him light a signal fire, which uh, drew some Kikirin into the area. They chatted for a bit, uh, and then they left. So he tells you, why don't you go light that signal fire and see what happens? Uh, you do. And a man from the, what was it, the Corpse? The Corpse Brigade. The Corpse Brigade. Should have been the Corpse Crew, frankly. Uh, shows up and tries to kill you. Doesn't work very well. But this is definitely not La Habrea. Uh, he leaves behind a scroll, though. Yeah, and Hihibaru uh, identifies it as a scroll used in the worship of Railger the Destroyer. One of the twelve who really only gets a lot of playtime religiously uh, in Alamigo. And so he suggests you head over to Little Alamigo to investigate there. He has a daughter who lives there, uh, so she can kind of be your way in. Yes, and he has some disparaging words about Little Alamigo. He specifically refers to it as uh, a settlement for refugees who just don't fit into the rest of society in Olda, which is, you know, already, well, is a sort of a front position, frankly. He calls it a lawless place. Sure. But yeah, so his daughter, Hihiru, is there. Um... A little bit about the Corpse Brigade, because this is basically, this this quest line is basically the only time they are relevant to the story outside of the monk quests. The Corpse Brigade is the remnants of a military faction created by King Theodoric, the, the mad king of Alamigo who was deposed about 20 years ago. Um, and specifically what they were created to do was wipe out the fist of Railger, the the order of monks out of Alamigo. They they were trained in like specifically anti-monk combat. And they did that very very well and very efficiently considering that the uh the monk quest NPC is the last member of the fist of Railger left alive. However, after Theodoric's uh defeat Obviously, they didn't really have anything to do. They weren't part of an army. And then, uh, after you know, after Theodoric was deposed, Gaius Van Balsar basically steamrolled through Alamigo. And as a result, the Corpse Brigade has sort of blamed uh, the Resistance for, like, weakening Alamigo enough to be conquered. And basically just went off and became bandits in Thanlan and abandoned them. Yeah, and now they're they're just generally kind of assholes. Yes. So you head over to Little Alamigo, which is like to describe. So Little Alamigo is this very twisty system of caves and springs, where a a, a sort of makeshift settlement has has been constructed over the course of the last few years. One one could call it a hole in the ground. 
Yeah, it's it's basically literally a hole in the ground. I also find it rather difficult to navigate sometimes. Very, very thin passageways. Yes. And so, once you get there, though, Hihimaru, you know, says, well, I mean, you can ask Gundabald over there, but, like, people around here don't really trust outsiders or want to talk to them or really anything so i don't know how far you're gonna get yeah uh and this ends up being a bit of a true premonition here because when you go to talk to uh to this guy gundabald uh he just promptly tells you to go fuck off he's just like listen we got our own problems we we don't owe you anything go away understandable have a pleasant day yeah literally uh so you're kind of left up the creek without a paddle here but you know you're like okay well i maybe the guards will know something so you know you go up to this uh this flame commander who's standing around and try and see if maybe him or his guys have heard anything he tells you uh they might have out on patrol however due to the relentless amalgia attacks uh they have not really been able to like peel themselves away from their posts recently. So he gives you some some Thanalanti and tells you to go give it to them, and maybe that'll, like, soften them up a bit to tell you what's up with your masked man. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, they don't know anything. They don't know shit. They, the only thing they've been doing for the past couple of weeks is guarding a bridge and trying to make sure that a bunch of lizard guys, a bunch of 10-foot-tall lizard guys, don't just roll up and start beating the crap out of everybody. Well, one act- one guy actually does have one. The last guy you go to talk to actually does say he saw a masked man talking with some Alamegan guys earlier. Um, once you go back to the flame commander, whose name is... I wrote it down for some reason. His name is Gisalbert. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells you... You will probably not be able to get much further in your investigation unless you have an in with the Alamegan resistance. Yeah, they are, the Alamegan people are generally united by a central ideal. And that ideal is, hey, we would like to take our country back. Understandable. Um, So, you know, you help them out in that regard in some capacity they're probably willing to trust you so uh to that end uh you head back and hit up minfilia and minfilia luckily enough happens to have hired a former resistance guy so yeah you go you go to meet this resistance guy named haribert who tells you that he used to be a member of the resistance but he joined the scions because he thought perhaps that was another path to like Liberate Alamigo, but his comrades didn't take that well. They thought he was turning his back. However, you know, uh, his name still holds sway with people. You know, he's, he's like a, he's like an ex-comrade of theirs. And he tells you that there's a guy named Mefred up in Quarry Mill who's been kind of holed up there for a while. And he says to go talk to him. Well, actually, he doesn't say that. No, he 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 points out uh, a lady named Albrida. Now, Albrida is is a friend of his who still has friends in the resistance. Um, but of course, when you go to Quarry Mill and you approach Albrida, she's like, "Oh God, did my fucking ex send you over here?" Yeah, 
This is when she tells you about Mefrid, because there is a group of wounded Alamegan resistance soldiers who have been staying here for a while. Um, one of them is wounded, and they are unwilling to leave until he has been treated. However, the people of Quarry Mill uh, have been unwilling to treat them because uh, apparently the elementals don't approve of the, their presence in the forest and would like them to leave. Yeah, this is like... This is a really weird thing with, like... Gridanian culture? Gridan- like, Gridania's whole deal. Yeah, it's it's just like... Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Gridania, because we haven't really had much... T- you know, we, we didn't even talk that much about Gridania in the Sylph, uh, the Sylph quests... Because I think this is actually much more revealing about the nature of Gridania than even the Sylph quests here. Because oh, by far. So the elementals are these are these extremely powerful beings who kind of inhabit the forest, like they are they are the trees and whatnot, and they are extremely focused on regrowing the woods after the calamity. You know, burned a bunch of it down. So they the, and and the whole thing with Gridania is they like gain the bounty of the woods and they have this supposed harmony with nature because they obey the elementals will and they understand their boundaries as a result honestly i think gridania is perhaps the least welcoming and most xenophobic city-state even more than so than olda who literally banned all of the myriad tribes uh, from their from their markets unlike in uh, Limsa Lamensa, where you can still find Kikirn and Mamulja and goblins hanging out. Yeah, so Gr- Gridania is such a weird situation. Like they, they're de- they're deeply, deeply, deeply afraid of the idea that the elementals, if they disobey any of their rules at any point, would just blanket say, "Okay, all elves are banned. Leave now, and if you don't, we'll kill you." Kind of thing. And they're worried they're gonna have to like go back underground, like their ancestors or whatever. So to that end, they're basically completely unwilling to ever do anything that the elementals wouldn't want you to do. This this creates a lot of problems. There's a reason why most people don't like Gridanians, um, because, yeah, they're more or less chained to the will of a bunch of, like, vengeful tree spirits that hate everything that isn't a tree. But uh, but there's, there's, there's two very important and salient facts that one has to remember about the elementals. Point one uh, is they kind of do their own thing anyway, uh, even if you follow their rules. So it seems like sort of a exercise in futility. But two, um, because like half of the shroud got burned to ash, the elementals basically don't have any power anymore. Um, they, they, they have some, but they can't really do anything. So really, I don't know if I was, if I was the Gridanians, I would maybe consider just like, I, you know, regrow some of the forest, but just maybe not all of it. And maybe, maybe leave some of it, uh, as grassland perhaps. Or at least be a little more lax with the rules. However, this brings me into point three. Now, this is a lore detail that doesn't get brought up often. Uh, the only time it ever really gets brought up is during the level, the, the Stormblood Bard quests. 
So the Eorzean Alliance uh was I don't think it was originally I don't think it was originally like created during the uh the invasion of Garlemald. It was actually based on an alliance about 100 to 200 years before that where Alamigo invaded Gridania in a conflict called the Autumn War. And as we see in the Stormblood Bard quests much later on, there's still a lot of resentment uh, on either side about that particular conflict. Yeah, it's like it's it's one of those it's one of those conflicts that's like it's buried, but only just like it's very much like just beneath the surface kind of thing like nobody who's alive remembers that conflict in any way it was a long time ago but you know there's there's still some amount of factionalism at play here and certainly it doesn't help the alamegans that gridania has like sort of a a, an old deep-seated grudge yeah, so either there there are a couple options here. Either the elementals themselves also hold this self-same grudge, or s- some speakers for the elementals might uh, kind of use them to mask their own agendas and biases. Who's to say? I don't know. I don't know anything about Hero Charlene, like, or Charlene or whatever. Like, who knows what she thinks? Um... But she's she's the one who's saying that the the Alamegans can't have any any help. Uh, they can't they can't benefit from the bounty of the woods, which is which is what Mefred says. Once you meet him, he's got a wounded soldier. He's dying, and the Gridanians just won't lift a finger uh, because the elementals yeah, don't. Not lift. even Albreda will lift a finger because she's apparently scared stiff of the elementals' sword retribution. She says specifically that she's lived in Quarry Mill long enough to know to fear the elementals, which, like, I assume that has to mean that she lived in the Shroud prior to the Calamity when the elementals, like, actually did shit. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it doesn't see... It's it's such it's such a weird environment, Gridania, because it, it's, like, such an, like... Oh, we're like an idyllic, like, pastoral, like, elf forest, a magical forest, and everything's beautiful, and nature provides everything, but, like, just beneath the surface, it's this, like, genuinely kind of horrible, hostile thing where anytime the trees could just decide to punch you to death, and everyone will just turn around and pretend not to see it. It doesn't help that we never really see the elementals power demonstrated at all or like understand really what they're about the elementals do a couple of things in the story later on but never anything that like establishes them as a force to really be respected i guess there's some some stuff in the white mage quest line and the conjurer quest line but like nothing really fleshes them out as a as a force so they're just left as this vague tree-shaped excuse for a whole bunch yeah, of shit I have, I have to assume there was more content in 1.0 where the elementals like showed off their their whole deal a little more but uh, of course that's all lost to time so so anyway mefford has you gather some antelope horns because they are used in like a an old Alamegan remedy. Once you do that, 
Mefford tells you to take the, these horns to the one motherfucker who gives a shit in these woods. Ah, uh, good old Buscaron. So Buscaron, well, apparently, uh, quite a few years back, he ended up getting grisly uh, wounded by something, and an Alamegan guy showed up and was like, here, put this on your wound, and it was some kind of horrible, stinky paste that saved his life. And he still has some of that horrible, stinky paste laying around, so he grabs it out of his cellar and gives it to you and says, hey, here you go. Uh, you go back to Mefred, and he's like, all right, great. I can go help my boy, Galleon, who is injured. And then someone runs up and says, Mefred, Galleon's gone missing. Yeah. And he goes, well, so fuck. Uh, so Galleon has decided that he does not want to be a burden to his comrades, to his countrymen. Uh, he feels bad that he is injured, so he has decided to lay down to die somewhere in the woods so that he will no longer be a burden on people, um, to which everyone goes, what the fuck, we need to go find him immediately, what the hell is he thinking? Um, but luckily, he didn't make it far. He just ended up next to Bat's Cave. Yeah, it's a cave full of bats. Um, so you you fight the guys in the cave, and Mefford runs up and, and gives Galleon, like you know, the, the talk of like you are you know we don't leave anyone behind. Like we will we will take care of you. We will get you back home, soldier. Yeah. Listen, as soon as you stop being injured, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you myself uh, for this one yes. kind of thing. And he gives you a, like a letter of recommendation, basically, to give to Gundabal to show you to show him that you were a real yeah, one. Just like this, it's like a piece of paper that just says, "Don't worry, they're cool." Yep. So you head back to Little Amigo, and you give this letter to Gundabal, and he goes, "Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, let me tell you what's been going on around here." Yeah, and what's been um, and what's been going on is interesting. So he's he's one of the originals right like gundabald's been around for a grip he's kind of an old guy and he was one of the people who participated in the original alamegan revolution against the mad king theodoric now here's the thing all these young guys uh who didn't participate in that revolution guys who just you know like they've been ex- they they got expelled from the country because of the Garlean invasion and grew up outside of Alamigo. They are a little bit more impatient than some of the the older guys who are still around. And to their part, the older guys are a little bit hesitant to really take major actions because they have like a lot of regret for basically making the country vulnerable uh on accident it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird plot point and we'll, and we'll get into it more later but uh but for now uh these young guys they're they're up to some stuff yeah so you, you ask around all of the youths of the lalamigo and all of them are pretty cagey about this masked man situation but clearly they've been talking to la habrea and he has been like saying some shit to them. Yeah. And so he wants you to like really try and figure out what's been going on. Uh, and while you're doing this, uh, this guy who's standing next to Gundabal, dude named Hremfing, well, he's been listening to all this and watching you, and he's like, hmm, interesting. And he sort of takes you aside and he's like, Psst, hey, hey, buddy, listen, I like your style. We want you to meet with the leader of the young guys. 
just out way over here in the middle of nowhere. It's not a trap. Don't worry. So you go out there and it's a trap. Yeah, it's, it's a trap. Wilred, this leader, accuses you of being a spy for like three or four different factions. Like, are you an Imperial spy? Are you an Amalgia spy? Or what, what kind of spy are you? Well, you're obviously some sort of spy. Get him, boys. And then you beat the shit out of his goons and he goes, uh, fuck you. And then yeah, he runs he, away. Yeah, he runs off. Oh, you're, you're too late. Our plans are already in motion. You can't do anything to stop us kind of thing. So you get back and you need to figure out what's going on, what the plan is, and when it's going off. Uh, especially because suddenly there's a bit of a time constraint. Yeah. Uh, see, there's a girl who runs up to uh, to her friend Gundabald here, and she's quite injured because the corpse brigade showed up and jumped her. Um, and, you know, she came back to town, and she, she was hurt, and she told everybody what happened and how they, like, humiliated her and told her that, like, dreaming of Alamigo is for fools and that all of you are going to die alone and starving in a hole in the ground or whatever, uh, which has pissed a lot of people off. Yeah, generally not fond of this turn of events. And so... You go around and you try to piece together what these guys are going to do about this. And what what they are going to do becomes very clear. You find several guys getting ready to go fight. You find a map of Zanrak, uh, the Amalja stronghold. You find a bunch of weapons. And judging from what they're saying, I think it's easy enough to put together uh, between that and La Habrea's manipulations. It's pretty easy to put together what's about to happen here. Will Red is going to attack the Amalja stronghold, steal their crystals, and attempt to summon Railgur as a primal to destroy yes, the Garlands. Yes, which is a bad plan. It's not a very good plan, and... There's, like, several layers of bad plan to it, like... Yeah. First step is already hard. Yeah, they're just sort of rushing the front door of a guarded, like, heavily fortified stronghold. Uh, a stronghold that is fortified by 10-foot-tall lizards that are, like, 100% beef by volume. And also very good at magic. Very good at magic. Uh, and also, like, you know, probably pretty good at seeing in the dark. Uh, you know, just, just generally quite superior in fighting skills to a bunch of, like... 20 year olds with knives and also no armor they're barely wearing shirts like they're not even really wearing shirts yeah like the immortal flames who are an entire goddamn army have had trouble dealing with the emulsia i don't like the fact that they thought this was gonna work is is wild Uh, la habrea must be one hell of a salesman He's got to be quite convincing, but yeah, so these these guys don't even make it across the bridge, frankly. Like, almost all of them get immediately pummeled into the dirt. All that's left is Wilrid and, like, two barely alive guys, and... You know, then the Amalja come across the bridge after you catch up with Wilrid here, and they're like, hey, uh, you guys tried to kill us and steal our stuff your the punishment is death come over here so we can deliver it uh 
And Gundabald says, understandable, but I can't accept that right now. Sorry. I have to save this little idiot. Yeah, I have to save these fucking stupid kids. So you have to you have to kill a bunch of lizards. Uh, and also a bunch of the guys that Wilrib brought with him all got tempered. You know, shocker of shockers. And you have to kill them also. Uh, something that, by the way, La Habrea neglected to mention to Wilrid. Apparently he didn't know about the whole tempering thing. Yeah, so after you beat these Amalja and these tempered guys down, Wilrid immediately gets up and is like, Alright, let's go back in. And Gunderbold, like basically slaps him upside the head and says, No, what are you fucking talking about? We're not going back in there. Forget the fucking crystals. Yeah, he's like, didn't you just see anything. like the twelve guys yeah, you brought with you all decide that we needed to die? Yeah, and he re- yeah. Then he's like, wait, if you summon a guy, then you like get bound to his will forever and lose your mind. I didn't know that. The <laughs> extremely like a, a Bart Simpson JPEG situation. The guy on the phone didn't tell me about that part. Yeah, those those slimy those slimy Asian salesmen they'll get you every time. Uh, Wilry gets a bunch of people killed because he's dumb, but you know he he goes back to little Almigo and you know Gundabald gets him to talk a little bit, and yeah, no, it turns out La Habrea was manipulating a bunch of people again. Oh boy. And you tell Minfilia about it, and she's like, damn, that's messed up. Well, too bad we don't know any more about where he is or what he's going to do. Yeah, we, we literally have found out basically nothing. All we know is that La Habrea has once again attempted to do the same thing he's done several times already. Yeah, and Willard has this whole thing about he, how he's really distraught about this, and he's like, the, the Alamegans will, like, live and die like beasts because of his failure, and Gundabal just has to tell him, like, you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you gotta be patient, and these things will come in time. Yeah, he, he tells he tells Willard, hey, don't get blackpilled on me, kid. Yeah, basically. So, like, that, that is basically our introduction to Alamigo uh, as a sort of ongoing situation. It's it's certainly not the best. I guess it's not the worst. It's but not it's the worst. it's emblematic of, especially early on, Final Fantasy XIV's sort of mushy neoliberal politics. Yeah, it's like it's it's a bit fraught, frankly. It's a bit fraught. I I think it's definitely like there's there's a very strong undercurrent of like, well, you know, it, these 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 refugees, if they just behaved a little better or whatever, that they they have all the opportunity in the world. There's like an undercurrent of like, well, they should just calm down and you know try and solve this problem in a in a better manner than what they're wanting to do you know violence is never the answer kind of thing and i don't know it's it's all real it's it's such a like milk toasts like way of approaching things it's it's such a like it it is very it's very liberal in a way that's just like not especially great like We'll we'll get into it a little more after the spoiler zone hits because it's it's sort of a recurring issue. Um, Old Don Alamigo, I think, have generally speaking the most fraught plot lines in this game, just by nature of like their problems are very inherently 
grounded in the consequences of like like capital and imperialism and these are not topics that final fantasy 14 is typically very well equipped to handle um and they make a lot of very egregious mistakes with it we haven't gotten to a lot of those yet but they're coming in the not too distant future you know it's it's the sort of thing where like i don't need every single piece of media i consume to perfectly align with my personal politics wherever i I get that but i think final fantasy 14 at times really wants to try really hard at being about politics at being about stuff and until recently every time they really went hard on that i really think they fell on their face really badly yeah and and that's and that's the thing right is like 14 is a game that tries very hard to do commentary it it wants to talk about these things it wants to be political it wants to have like geopolitics and socioeconomics as like a backbone of its conflicts and the thing is if you want to do that if that's what you want to do then you need to be prepared for people to start breaking down the core ideology of the the writer's room here. You need to be prepared for people to pick this stuff apart and really get into what you're actually saying. And unfortunately, 14 is not equipped for that. Um, most of, especially in ARR, especially in the early portions of the game, I find that the politics really dissolve very quickly um there's not a lot of supporting material for a lot of this and while i i I have a an understanding of what they want to do what they wanted to do with it um what they wanted to do with it was either really not very good or was not executed well um, and it's it's a real it's a real shame because there's like a lot of there's a lot of stuff here there's a lot of like bones that I think I think could have a really compelling sort of narrative around them Alamigo especially I think has the bones of a really compelling narrative but it just never gets there yeah so if you are staying current with us uh, or have not finished Endwalker yet and don't want to be spoiled. Um, this is where we will leave you. This is a, a short, uh, sort of chain of, of quests. No big dungeons or trials or anything like that. Just about one area and, and investigating La Havre a little bit. So we will, we will see you next time for, uh, spooky ghost murder mystery, I guess. A, yes. A, be- a beautiful ghost house. Uh, but if you are joining us, if you would like to talk about the deep, intricacies of Alamegan revolutionary politics well then we'll see you on the other side Oh, geez. All right.
So I guess let's get into this one. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about this more than once over the course of this podcast. Oh, yes. Probably a few times, frankly, especially once we get into Stormblood. But Alamigo. Alamigo's a mess. Alamigo gets done dirty in Stormblood, I think. It gets done dirty by fucking everything. It gets done dirty by everything. It gets done dirty now. It gets done dirty during fucking Riot Cop Simulator in, like, uh, 2.2. Stormblood does it dirty. Like, oh man. So, you know... The liberation of Alamigo is a, a thing that was heavily, heavily built up to over the course of the entire game. And from looking at Stormblood and its aesthetics, you would think it was mostly about that. You would think. Uh, no, un- unfortunately, Stormblood is structured really weirdly and it is sort of like the first third of the liberation of Alamigo, and then an entirely different revolution, kind of, and then the back two-thirds all compressed into a very tight package. It's uh, it's it's weird, it's structured weird. Everybody who's played Stormblood, I feel like, agrees, generally speaking, that its structure is very weird, but, you know... What what's done is done. Really, the more important thing beyond just story structure, though, is what do you do with that story? What does the narrative have to say? And it doesn't have a lot of great things to say, frankly. Let's 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 sort of hit point by point, right? I don't remember enough about Riot Cop Simulator to really talk about it in detail because I wiped it from my memory. Um, I was also just going through that chunk of the game really fast because I wanted to get to Heaven's Word. Understandable. So the first thing that we should talk about is Ilbird, right? Like, uh, yeah. his sort of arc going from the, the leader of the Crystal Braves to this, like, crazed revolutionary willing to burn down Balestar's wall and everyone on it to summon this grand dragon of vengeance to blow up the Empire. Yeah. How did we get there? How did we get there? So, Ilbert is... Uh, God, Ilbert's such a fraught character. So, Ilbert and uh, Raubon are buddies, or at least used to be. Uh, back in the day, they were refugees from Alamigo, and they both... I believe they both ended up in the Gladiator Pits in Old Ah, if I remember correctly. Raubon ends up becoming a really, really successful gladiator, so successful he, like, buys his own freedom and founds the Immortal Flames and does all this stuff, and he becomes, like, a super, super important, like, political figure. Uh, Ilbert, on the other hand is not quite so lucky he ends up having it really rough for a really long time and he basically feels like Raubon betrayed him and the cause uh taking up the banner of Uldah he because he he never he never gave up um his like fiery allegiance towards Alamigo and he uh wants to make sure that they get to take it back at literally any cost and this is where the narrative starts to fall apart. Because, like I said earlier, one of the ways in which the political framework of this situation starts to crumble is when you start considering, like, what it has to say about these people. 
And Ilbert is sort of like a, a central figure for the the sort of young, hot-blooded, um, impatient Alamegans. Uh, similar to what we just saw in Little Alamigo, Ilbert is is that. He is that as a guy. I mean, he literally does the same plan that Willard wants to do, basically, except he, he succeeds because the Assians give him the eyes of Nidhogg. Exactly. And... And that and that's the thing that gets me, right? Is you you have this story about revolution and it has an interesting like thread of nuance to it, right? Where you have a like proletarian revolution that takes place in Alamigo against the Mad King Theodoric and the you know the Crimson Duelists, the Red Mages are at the front and you know they they do all that stuff and they take down the Mad King and they liberate the country and then oh you know, Gaius was waiting on the, the fringes the whole time, waiting to just walk in the front door and take over the town. I believe he even, like, secretly supported the revolution, didn't he? Which is, once again, we were talking about uh, the Garlean Empire as a stand-in for the United States. That's a classic U.S. move. Generally doesn't work as well, though. Arming a bunch of insurgents and then invading the place later. Yeah, typically the insurgents uh, fight back. Uh, quite hard and again in this case they all they they do do that like the alamegan resistance pretty much never stops putting up a resistance of course up until the second you show up in stormblood and they're all like oh i guess we're gonna give up now yeah so that's, <laughs> which so is let's... the lamest shit in the world like come on so the alamegan resistance is a faction that is mostly underrepresented or ignored and that's fine because heavensward isn't really about that it is about ishgard it is about other stuff we don't need they we already shoved in enough fucking cleanup from a realm reborn into the middle of heavensward and that's a mess uh we don't need to like focus on it. however once we get to the the pre-stormblood patches uh 3.4 and, and uh 3.4 and 3.5 when we get the stuff with the Griffin and Ilbert returns after a long, long absence. Um, like, yeah, the, so Stormblood is about revolution. The, the, literally the main vocal theme of Stormblood is called Revolutions. And it's weird because I would say the, the they are both revolutions. However, interestingly enough, the only one that I would say is a proper revolution is Alamigo because what is happening in Doma is the rightful king reclaiming his throne. Yeah, like Alamigo is experiences like an actual proletarian revolution twice, though the second time is a little bit different. Doma doesn't. Doma is it is a bourgeois revolution. It's the ruling party coming back uh, and taking control of the country again. And this is this has a lot of this is a lot of problems. Oh, it's got so many problems. Like, uh, we we'll we'll, we'll yep. get in we'll get into the problems with Doma later on. But for a lot of reasons, there's there are arguments to be made that perhaps having Hien take the throne and just put everything back to its uh, status quo there wasn't actually a good thing. And maybe they, sh- they shouldn't have, you know, 
just made everything exactly how it was before Garlemald showed up. Maybe an argument the game itself makes in Endwalker. Um, yeah. So next, I want to talk about things that happen in Stormblood proper. Obviously, the whole thing is that Xeno shows up, wreck shop, and you go to Doma to sort of gather forces because the Alamine Resistance gets its shit kicked in. And their spirits are broken. So you go to Doma to, like, get more guys, basically. Um, And you're there for a long time. Really long time. Like, I'm pretty sure literally the Alamegan part of the first bit of Stormblood is two levels of MSQ. And it's all Doma. And the last two levels of MSQ are Alamigo again. Like, Yeah, literally more than half of Stormblood takes place in Doma, which... Oh god, it's so mm. it's 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 frustrating because I I genuinely really like the the stuff that takes place in Doma. I, I really like it. Uh it's in a lot of ways it's my favorite part of Stormblood. I think it's the strongest narrative. I think it is like a really like cool through line and it's really satisfying and of course Doma Castle, the entire situation surrounding that is my favorite set piece in the whole game. Still to this day, I love that whole set piece. Doma Castle's awesome. It's my favorite dungeon. Perfect setup. Could You couldn't do it better. 10 out of 10. But as far as the theme is concerned of Stormblood, it's all just a little... It's all a little complicated. It, it, it sort of... It sort of undermines itself in a lot of ways. Yeah, so I want to talk about, I think, really one of the main things that undercuts what they're trying to do with Alamigo. And that is how uh one six or uh, four point one deals with the skulls and Fordola. So the skulls are a group of Alamegan defectors basically who uh end up serving Gaius Van Balesar during his time as Imperial Governor of the uh of the province. However, by the time Stormblood rolls around, Gaius is presumed dead for a couple of years at that point, and the person in charge now is Xenos, who runs things a little differently. So, I think, in Stormblood proper, the way the Skulls and Fordola are treated are just fine. I think that it is a sort of good arc they go on. My problems arise with 4.1 and it's kind of deciding who gets more sympathy because the the hypothesis or the 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 explanation uh that it puts forward as to how fordola became this way is that she was shunned by alamigo as a young girl because her parents aligned with the empire she was treated as a pariah, and so she and the others uh, of her kind threw in their lots with the Empire because they had nowhere else to go, which is certainly true and tragic. However, I believe the amount of blame Alamigo gets for this and the amount of like judgment uh, the, the sort of tone of the story casts on them for this is kind of outsized. Yeah, it's a little bit uh, dramatic. Like, oh, God, Fordola. Oh, God. Ugh. Fordula is okay. Stormblood has 
some rather unfortunately written women in it, and we will get to that. Oh boy, we will get to that. I have so much to say about these two, but setting that aside for a moment, just to talk about broad strokes, um, Fordola is indicative of a phenomenon that happens, right? You have your assimilationists, you have people that in the wake of imperial expansion and oppression choose to throw their lot in with the oppressors and try to climb on the backs of their countrymen um, like a human ladder and try to elevate themselves. Um, And they do it for reasons that one could argue are understandable. Yes. And like I said, I think... The way the skulls are portrayed in Stormblood, and also I would say I freshly finished it in the Endwalker healer role quests, are good. Like I think there is an there is amount there is an amount of tragedy to them, but they are also cannot be like sanitized or like ah they were they were only they only were pushed so far because of the cruelty of their homeland. Like they did they did make an active choice, and it's and you know. The, the 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 concluding scene of Fordola in Stormblood itself is after you've liberated Alamigo and the the flag of the of the the Griffin on on the purple background is flying again. Like you see her and she looks at it and, you re- and she realizes that like she joined Garlemald because she thought that proving herself in the eyes of the oppressors would like make things better generally. And what you see over the course of Stormblood is, of course, that's not what happens at all. She and the other Skulls are treated like complete shit by everyone. Even Xenos, who, like, doesn't really outright hate her, only uses her as a pawn because he ultimately doesn't care about anyone. Like, he uses her as a test subject for his... his He he basically, like, all right, I want to give myself the fake Echo, however... I don't want to be the first one to do it. Let's get the most disposable person laying around to do it first. Yeah. And and that's the thing, right? Um, I, I think, broadly speaking, in Stormblood proper, the skulls are handled okay. Um, because it's a real thing that happens. And I, again, the bones, it's the, it's the bones of the thing. The foundation of the situation Alamigo's in makes sense and i think has the roots of a really compelling narrative right you have a lot of nuance available you have assimilationists who have complicated the and muddied the waters here who have created a situation where you know there are people willing to betray their own to get an extra crust of bread from the master or whatever this is a thing that often shows up in a lot of like actual colonial efforts especially in africa where you'd have these colonial empires like pick a specific subgroup to like kind of raise up and break unity right it's a thing that happens. The way it's portrayed here is like it's. I don't know. It's, the onus is not on Garlemald because like here's the thing, right? The scene where Fordola's parents are stoned to death by a mob for like being traitors. The thing I took away from it more than Ah Alamigo is bad is wow, the Garleans didn't even fucking try to protect them at all. They just stood there like. They didn't do anything. 
it's it's just it's insane to me that that's that's the resolution right is that the reason fordola is a bad person is because her parents were stoned to death in front of her and her mom died while shielding her from rocks like that's such a fucking over the top completely asinine thing to do like you don't need to give a bad person like the world's most traumatic backstory in order to justify them being awful and this is again this is just the problem with the women in stormblood oh Mm. god i uh i can't get into it i i will get too mad like yetsuyu and and fordola make me so angry but we'll i'll i'll have a million words to say about them someday the broader thing though is the foundation of this of this revolutionary tale isn't necessarily bad right like no alamigo's refugees being treated poorly by other nations you know the sort of social dynamic that exists uh people like ilbert people like wilrid existing in stark contrast to people like um Oh, Ragfrenit, Ragfrenit, or something. I just, I just spent some time with him. the The guy from Alagana. No, the guy we literally just met. Oh, Gundabald. Gundabald, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, it's standing in stark contrast to like Gundabald or whatever, and like th- this is this is the roots of something that could really be interesting, but it just can't hold up because the story is not willing to actually take it all the way because the resolution to this storyline should be that Alamigo was correct to revolt and that revolting again is correct to do and you can put as much nuance in that as you like you can put in the nuance that you know it's a strain on all of these people both in and outside of the occupied territory you can put in this this nuance and in fact i think putting in that nuance is a good thing but you can't use that nuance as an excuse to not actually take things to the conclusion that they need to get to and i I just i feel like Alamigo in the end doesn't get there because especially post Stormblood you see like what ends up happening is the country is kind of in a shambles and the only thing that really saves it is you know Lollarito once again showing up and being like oh well I'm gonna be a job creator and also you just happen to find a gigantic pile of money hooray you know it's it just really brushes it off you go underwater and you find a big tomb full of money and also the good capitalist says i will make a salt mine here and everyone's like yay and also don't forget the world's whitest highlander is elected president briefly um oh god yeah Lise is a whole other thing we have to get we'll have to get into later oh, but like Lise is so bad listen nago should have been given the leadership role i will never stop saying this but nago should have gotten control of the resistance there is literally no reason why lease should have gotten it it makes no sense it just the, the story implodes the second lease gets command like i think they know this too because she literally like 
steps down after a while. I think she just hangs out there now. I don't think she actually has any political power anymore. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Rao Bon is literally, like, the president and the commander and whatever. Like... Yeah, and it totally makes sense for Rao Bon to be the guy who runs Alamigo, because he's Alamegan and from there and everything. And I know Lise also is, but also it's, like, kind of a bad look that, like the blonde-haired, blue-eyed white lady gets to lead the country of brown people and, like, and yeah. come in and save all of them. Like, it's... Ludicrously <laughs> white. Like... The whitest woman of all time, perhaps. Like... Literally, literally a Midlander. They, like, she is not a Highlander. Her model is a Midlander because you can't... I don't think you can make a Highlander woman that white. Yeah, it's just... It's like, oh, God. Yeah, at least it's a whole other thing. Again, the women in Stormblood... There's problems. Um, you could say there's problems with women in the entire game, but um, again, you know, we've... Until, weirdly enough, a woman started writing it. Yeah, almost... It's funny how that works, isn't it? What what changed between Stormblood and Shadowbringers? I can't think of it. Yeah, I can't think of anything. And then, you know, the only women in Stormblood who aren't written really horribly it seems like they're you know they seem to only be in the asm step and that that was also written by a woman huh perhaps the same woman so it's you know it's almost like there's a pattern yeah like alamigo has ultimately sort of been cast aside narratively almost like even even among the the role quests i've done so far in Endwalker, many of which are about like tying up these loose ends and sort of tackling old ugliness like i said i really loved the melee dps quest line which takes place in doma where he actually has to confront like the shit that happened in the past and all of that i liked the one in in actually that was the range one the melee dps is in limsa which is all about uh you know finding peace with the sahagin and how painful of a of a, of a path that is and like all this sort of shit. The the healer role quest is is technically a dual Alamegan and Uldan thing. Uldan literally doesn't come up at all in the role quest. Uh, funnily enough, like I don't, they they are like not a thing at all. Um, but it's chiefly about trying to tackle the legacy of the skulls. It, this is where Arnvald has set up this Silver Griffin thing, which is, like, trying to help people who used to be Skulls and family members of the people who used to be Skulls. Uh, and Fordola's working with him there. And it's also chiefly about, like, all of the shit, all of the shame and guilt Fordola still feels about what she did. It's one of the things where literally she is at the on the verge of becoming a blasphemy at several points during that questline because of how low she is. And it's like I think they in, they they weave it to a pretty all right ending. I don't think they're they're too terribly like kid gloves with Fordola. The thing is that Arnvald as a character, right, is like extremely sympathetic to her position due to the fact that he was also a pariah for different reasons, right? He's half Garlean. Um so he was also shunned. And so like He's got he's got a really bad case of I can fix her. Like oh a term, god, like a terminal case of I can fix her. He really does, and I mean, it's kind of working. he's 
he's trying. He's really trying his best. He's got his work cut out for him, though. He kind of spread it to Raban in in the healer quest lines. It's 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 kind of spreading a little bit. Um, uh, I mean, what can I say? The bo- the boy's enthusiasm is infectious, I guess. But like. Even that, even all of that is like a much more nuanced and even-handed take on the situation. But I don't think it's enough. I don't think there's been enough time spent with Alamigo and all of the various things. Like, they never got a restoration like Doma did. They didn't have a whole quest line where you help rebuild it. Like, we got... Basically, all we got was one meeting in 4.1... Where Lee said, what if chairs weren't real? And then uh, the evil snakes summoned Lakshmi. Yeah. And, and then everyone decided, and you well, had to we're be all like, cool. And you would be like, Mr. President, get down, basically. Yeah, and the and there, everyone was like, well, we're all cool except those snake ladies, I guess. But we're fine, I guess. And then that's it. We're done. Uh, everything resolved. What? Yeah, it's... <sighs> It's just, it's just sort of a, it's just sort of a mess. Like in the end, yes, Alamigo gets to be independent again, and in the end, yes, the idea is that they're transitioning to like a democratic-ish society. It's really unclear, actually. I have no idea what's going on over there. The, like, like lease brings up the idea in that meeting of everybody basically having a democratic representative but they don't really get anywhere because again Lakshmi gets summoned in the middle of the hall so that's kind of left up in the air it just doesn't it just shrugs and gives up and says hey we have more trauma to write about women yeah let's go to Doma yeah that's the thing that gets me is just like there's like this huge buildup like so much of the game leading up to stormblood it talks about the situation with alamigo and it builds all this up and it it tries to like make it so that this moment where alamigo finally gets liberated is really this huge catharsis but it ends up falling short because the game just isn't equipped to really take it to the places where it needs to go like like uh, you know a great example actually is uh oh god i've forgotten elf city name ishgard yes ishgard it's been a long day okay i've i've had like three doctor's appointments today anyway um ishgard is a great example um so the deal with the deal with ishgard is it also has a revolution kind of it's more like a reform like they reform the church and government basically yeah it's it's what one might after the pope tries to start an infinite crusade (laughs) yeah it's what one might call velvet revolution sort sort of um so yeah they the leader of the army after the pope explodes it takes control and decides to create England. Um, so he makes the House of Lords, the House of Commons, and he becomes prime minister in that whole deal. And there is like a fairly extensive amount of time dedicated inside, uh, you know, just after Heaven's Word in the in the patch quests and afterwards, like even up until 
during Endwalker, it is still being interrogated. Like the caster DPS quest line uh, it is entirely surrounding like the you know fallout and legacy of the of the church of the elf Catholic Church, right? And and dealing with that and and trying to get that sorted. So like like Ishgard gets this huge amount of time dedicated to its reformation and how it reconstructs itself in the aftermath and how its government uh, functions and how Amerik is is trying to you know rebuild everything but he doesn't want to become like another like Thordan style central figure like he wants to mostly let it be a democratic society or whatever and. It's the only one in the game. It's the only side in the game that's really allowed to do that. Because Uldah never gets to. Um, they just basically nuke that from orbit. They're just like, no, Nanamo is fucking Herbert Manderville pilled. And then Alamigo doesn't really get to have that because the game is just like, well, we are bored of this now. It's moving on. And Doma doesn't get it because they don't even really have a revolution. It's just sort of a changing of the guard a little bit. So it's just, it just, it gets me that, that Ishgard's the one who gets to have that nuance when the reason Ishgard gets to have that nuance is because the government they're making afterwards is just a, like, a parliament, like, representative parliamentary republic, like a, England. They just make England. And they get to be, like, the extremely white Snow England with elves in it. And it's just, you know, it's not a great look that that's the only area in the game that has this kind of storyline that actually gets it really, really fleshed out. And everybody else is just sort of, you know, it's kind of shrugged off or is, you know, changed at the seemingly last second, like old Ah. It's weird that when you dedicate three entire patch quests to dealing with the aftermath of that whole thing and figuring out what the future holds, it it does end up pretty fleshed out and satisfying uh, compared to 75% of one patch quest and then forgotten about so we can have evil woman sad moments. Yeah, God. And, and Grandpa, Grandpa Bald, Bald sad, sad moments. moments. Can't forget those. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's other discussions to be had about the handling of Yulmore and Shadowbringers, and we already talked at length about Garlemald in Endwalker, and, like, it's interesting, right? Because as we've gone on, uh, they've been making, like, societies that just are better and better, because, I mean, the the, 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 Christ, uh, the Crystarium is, like... Awesome. <laughs> it's basically just a commune ultimately like they have a guy they really like and they call him the king sort of but he's not really a king he just knows how to use the tower and he's kind of pretty smart and they all really love him but otherwise like everyone just does their own thing and it works together and it all seems like it goes great like and then there's Thavnair which is this, like, you know, all the myriad tribes are perfectly unified and they're ruled by this, by this council of representatives that work with the satrap to, to sort of compromise and figure out what's best for the people. And, like, 
I don't know, man. Maybe the people in the writers' room are having a bit more imagination about, like, well, what could a good society look like? Like a much bigger revolution, a uh, much bigger imagination than whoever wrote four point one. Yes, dramatically bigger imagination and dramatically like better sort of internal politics. I imagine just just generally um, the sort of the sort of through line of international cooperation and Endwalker, like. We're going to teach everyone how to use these porksies. You're going to get all the porksies. We're going to cure tempering. We're going to, like, give aid to the this fallen empire that's just, like, embers or whatever. Like, I don't know. Something shifted somewhere. And I don't know, like, if it was just the lead writer or if there were several writers or if it was just a general cultural, like... I you know attitude toward away from these like sort I don't even really know what to call stormblood like very neoliberal compromised revolutions and like I don't I don't know yeah I I just it's, don't know it's it's just it's uh uh oh stormblood all of the problems with Alamigo and stormblood can basically be traced right back here to this quest line the big trouble in little amigo is really where the big trouble in all amigo begins and oh boy we're getting more of it we're getting more i just i don't want to do riot cop simulator i don't want to play riot cop simulator it's coming it's oh, it's must, in our future it's, it's, it's like 2.1 it's in our rather it's in our rather near future we're coming up on halfway through realm reborn roughly yeah. like if you judge if you judge by pure level count, we've already passed it. I think we're roughly like we're either a little over or a little under halfway at this point. I believe, yeah, because like the pacing gets weird once you hit Ishgard uh, or once you hit uh, Western Corthus. But like it, it's it's coming pretty it's, shortly. It's on its way, and boy howdy, we're gonna have to slog our way through that one. As always, it gets worse before it gets better, but uh, that, that'll that be it for this week. Next week, for sure, actually, we will be talking about whatever the fuck Hawk Manor is. I've always found Hawk Manor to be, like, kind of comes out of nowhere and doesn't really have to do with anything. No, it's just sort of like a funny, like, mystery, like a funny little, like, mystery in the middle of nowhere. And, I mean, it's cute. La Habrea just makes you a haunted house to go through, pretty much. Yeah, which, I mean, hey, it's, like, cute. I, I don't mind Hawk Manor. Um, I think Hawk yeah, Manor was really thing. funny before it got reworked. That's right. You don't have to return anymore. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I actually, uh, sidebar, I played the reworked Praetorium today. Oh, did you? I've been avoiding it. I, I Listen, I need to get the gorilla. I've been I've been hitting up that MSQ roulette to get them tombstones. I want to get that fucking gorilla. Oh God, out. Everybody everybody's got the gorilla right now. Everybody's walking around with the gorilla. Exactly. And if I don't get the gorilla, I'll be left out. Um but I played it and it is much shorter. Uh you do actually get to see all of the boss fights. There's no Ultima weapon at the end of it. It went from like a feature length presentation to like thirty minutes, which is still long for a dungeon, but like way, way more bearable. Yeah, which it's it's a little sad. It's a little sad, but like I like from from the perspective of, you know, trying to make the game more accessible, yes. it makes sense. Like they this they they simply couldn't keep Praetorium as it was like I also did Porta Decumana on MSQ Roulette as well and that one is actually like 
It turns out when you have a full, basically a, a, a hard difficulty trial with only four people, it does get a little bit challenging. You do have to like pay attention to the mechanics. Okay, that's kind of cool, actually. I, I, I do enjoy that because something I really dislike about, you know, there's something I really disliked about like the, the level 50 stuff was always that even when you're on level for it it's so autopilot like there's very little you have to pay attention to unless you're like level syncing it but like who on earth would have done praetorium normal with like level sync on you'd never get enough people yeah like but uh yeah it's interesting the way that they are changing things and like they're making changes to Heavensward next. They're making steps of faith the solo duty. They're re- you know they're they're putting all uh, trusts in the Heavensward dungeons. Like every day, every single day, this game becomes easier and easier to play solo. Um, which doesn't really have anything to do with what we were talking about. I just find it interesting. Oh yeah, no, it's very interesting, and I think that's I think that's a move in the correct direction. I think a lot of people do generally like playing this game by themselves. And, uh, and, you know, making that a little bit easier to do, making that a little bit uh, more accessible, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense because, you know, you know, not everybody's got like a whole bunch of friends they want to play the game with. And, you know, you don't necessarily always want to like go into a random party with people because, you know, that's a little, that can be a little intimidating. So I think that's a, it's it's a good move to do. I also think it's a good move to make Steps of Faith normal, um, a solo duty because Steps of Faith normal kind of sucks. It's bad. It was a bad trial, and no one is sad to see it go. Especially not me, who kept fucking rolling it in trial roulette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, until next time when we talk about Hawk Manor, I've been one of your hosts, Nero. And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you in the fields of Eorzea, adventurers.